everybody welcome back to cover b welcome back to cover b real extra pause for tea there you go okay <laughs> i was trying to hold it back you always tease me so i was trying to keep it together and then i figured i'd just give you room this time <laughs> get it out of your system cover b real extra we are here to talk about movies this yeah. is the series where we talk about movies uh, and this week we are talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. Spider-Man and the cavalcade of leaks. Yeah. Spider-Man versus Twitter sources. Spider-Man versus PR management. Yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man and the chamber of Andrew Garfield constantly debunking things. <laughs> That's what we're here to talk about. Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, in this movie, it picks up after the end of Far From Home, wherein Mysterio had released a posthumous uh, video of him revealing Spider-Man's secret identity as Peter Parker. Uh, J.K. Simmons returns as J. Jonah Jameson and delivers the news. Uh, and we pick up right from the time that the news is revealed as Peter Spider-Man as Spider-Man <laughs> tries to figure out what this means for his life. Uh, it obviously causes complications and there's no spoilers here because you've seen it from the trailers. He goes to his good buddy, Dr. Stephen Strange, uh, to help him make people forget. He, however, being a chatty little nerd that he is ruins the spell and it causes some problems bringing some villains from other universes into this universe and causing him to have a quest wherein he has to repair the fabric of space-time t what are your feelings on spider-man no way home non-spoilery feelings for now and then we'll cover it it was perfect <laughs> yeah fair. uh I'm sure plenty of people have very spoilery questions that need answered. Uh, we will answer those in the spoiler section of uh, the review. So after the spoiler warning, we will answer the questions that you guys have. For now, we'll do a review for people that don't want spoilers. Uh, and then we'll trigger a spoiler warning about midway through the episode. Yes. Just keep an ear out for it. Uh, if you don't want spoilers, turn the episode off yes. and come back later. Uh, for right now, we're just going to give our general thoughts. And T's general thought is that it was perfect. Yes. So. Period. They. We already have seen from press junket and from trailers that multiple villains are in this movie out to mm -hmm. get our little our little Tom, our mm -hmm. little our little Tom Petey. Um, and one of the things that I was most worried about going into this movie was is this going to suffer from the original Spider-Man 3 syndrome, which was too many baddies making too many complications, trying mm -hmm. too hard to cover too many storylines, making it weird, cheeseball, incongruent, complicated, resulting in a failure to launch a la Tobey Maguire doing his weird emo sachet down the, the block. <laughs> There were a lot of problems with that movie, and my fear was that this was going to 
replicate that very problematic system. It does not. What's nice about introducing villains that you've already seen from other movies is that you already know who they are. Yeah. You know their stories, you know their histories, you know their origins, you know their personalities. Yeah. So you are able to introduce them feet on the ground, running from the start. There's none of that exposition nonsense. It feels very much the way they did it in the first Spidey with Tom in that you know what and who a Spidey man is. Mm -hmm. We don't have to go through that whole rigmarole again. You know who these characters are. You've already seen them in movies before. If you hadn't seen them, that's your own fault. We don't have to go through this whole process over again. To kind of bounce off of that, it... uh... The nice thing about it is that it doesn't it doesn't really do the phrase that you just said, where it's like, if you haven't seen it, that's your own fault. You're not going to understand anything. Deal with it. If you haven't seen them, you still get it. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you haven't seen the Amazing Spider-Man series or you haven't seen the Tobey Maguire series and or you haven't seen it in a long time and you don't truly remember the story or the motivations or whatever it might be, you don't really need to. They do a really good job just giving you like just very conjunct like here's who this person is yeah here's what they're doing deal with it you know and you don't really need to know everything that happened in the two-hour run of whichever movie they're from it's true to be able to understand who they are and i think that's a nice balance between you know, rewarding the people that did see the movies, but not punishing people that didn't. Yes. And that's, that's kind of what I meant is that you get kind of the cliff notes of them. And so if you wanted to know like all of the weird intricacies of them, you could have gone and watched the other movies. If you don't care, you don't need to know. It's, it's not trying to rehash things. It's not trying to over expound upon things or rebuild characters or Mm -hmm. anything like that. It's just, here's some people they're doing some stuff. And then you move on with your life. And it's nice. I think this movie did a great job of not falling into the Spider-Man 3 trouble where they tried to, you know, recharacterize a bunch of people a billion times over. And you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Is James Franco dead? Just let him be dead. Like, you don't know what's happening. Mm. Like, just let it be done. So I thought that was really well done. Um, another thing that I was personally a little concerned about was that it was starting to get really complicated in terms of how is this happening like how are you going to explain the multiverse how are you going to explain all of these things going on they do a good job it doesn't feel super sciencey it doesn't feel super uh let's explain it away with pseudo nonsense there's magic you deal with it it makes sense move on and i think what's one thing that was really nice in this is that something that the marvel universe had done in a lot of the movies that Chris has talked about for a long time was that Marvel wanted to keep things grounded in reality. And they did that in the original Spider-Man trilogy. They did that in the Amazing Spider-Man. They did that in a lot of the original early parts of the MCU. And in this one, there were so many references where people were like, wait, there's magic? Yes, there's magic. Oh, okay. And you just move on. And I thought that was really nice how they very much, you know, pointed out that this is still kind of new into the MCU. This is still kind of new to everybody, but it makes sense. And you just accept it and you nod and you move on and it works and it doesn't hinder the plot in any way. And I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, they did a nice job of making the characters from the different universes feel like they were reacting to the world differently. Like, they mm -hmm. did a really good job kind of signifying that there are differences in the significant differences in the multiverse. Yes. You know, uh, all the way to the extent of, you know, Norman Osborn referencing that there's no Oscorp in this world. Yeah. So there's potentially no Norman Osborn in this. Bold statements were made about the MCU in this that I think some people probably wouldn't be prepared for. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's cool to have that divisiveness. It's cool to have Norman Osborn literally saying, like, there will not be a Norman Osborn in this. People who want more Spider-Man movies, you never have to worry about us redoing the Green Goblin. It's been done. It's over. It's not happening in the MCU. Um, and I think that's really cool. I will say everything T said, 100% agree. Um, the other thing that really stood out to me, and I won't get too much into this until we pass, till we cross the spoiler, uh, threshold. threshold, but, uh, this movie honestly did something with supervillains that has not been done in any superhero movie ever that I'm aware of, unless there's something I'm, you know, there's one example, one small part of one movie, Wonder Woman 1984, but it wasn't done well. And uh, this movie takes it all the way and goes all the way with it. And it's a really, really cool way to turn the story and way to frame the character uh, while also being kind of a meta commentary on the nature of these villains previously. Um and the nature of superhero movie villains in general is they all kind of suffer from the same thing. They're like slightly gray area characters that deal with some sort of mental or emotional trauma during the run of the movie, go bananas and try to like do damage or conquer and then die mm -hmm. <laughs> for whatever reason. It's mm -hmm. either like, Oh, the hero, put me into a situation where I overreached and now I'm dead or, Oh, I've suddenly regained my sense of self and now I'm trying to sacrifice myself to save people. But they, they tend to die. Yep. And <laughs> you know, it's, it's, this was a very interesting take on that. And I, I think it's worth experiencing for people even if you're really not that into superhero movies just to see that there is still new ground that can be taken in these movies we've had so many over the past like two decades so it's interesting to see that there's like new ground still being like sniffed out you know yeah uh, it was it was really cool and i think it's like the highlight of the movie for me is that they went the direction that they did um it was very clever yeah I have nothing else that's not spoilery, so we're going to dip into spoiler town. Uh, so from this point on, things that we say will be a bit spoilery. Yes. If you have uh, questions that you need answered, we'll answer those right off the bat. Uh, and if you have, uh, if you don't want spoilers, stop listening at this point and go watch the movie and come back. We'll be here waiting for you with tissues. Did they leave? I think they're gone. Okay, so first off, I'm sure the question on everyone's mind is who makes an appearance in this movie? Yes! Um, it's 
it's not going to be long before it's officially out there. Yes. So hopefully it wasn't spoiled for you before this, before you got to see the movie or before this point. But uh, so we know a bunch of villains return and that's pretty much been out in the open. Doc Ock was one of the first ones to really get announced. Willem yes. Dafoe's Green Goblin. Uh Jamie Foxx, Jamie Fox, Electro. Those were like the big three. We also see uh, Sandman and Lizard return. Uh, so Sandman from Spider-Man 3, Sam Raimi series, and Lizard from The Amazing Spider-Man 1. Uh, they both return yes. as well. There's no Dane DeHaan. Nope. Thank God there's no James Franco. Thank God. Uh, what about the females? There were rumors bebopping around that Kirsten Dunst... Uh, and Emma Stone would come back reprising their roles. They do not. No. Uh, they are referenced. Their characters are referenced, but they do not appear in this. Uh, they are referenced by their love interests. So we do have two Spider-Mans returning. Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield reprise their role as Spider-Mans. Yay! Um, which <laughs> brings me to note on the handling of that now that can be a very fan servicey cringy thing it could have been done really poorly yes it was done very well we yes. got to see these characters after their stories had ended so toby was allowed to be an older spider-man he was allowed to be an older peter parker yes he was presented as having significant distance between at the very least the second Spider-Man movie and where he is now because Otto Octavius actually references it at one point about Peter's all grown up now. Yes. Um, you know, he makes mention of a complex relationship between him and Mary Jane, et cetera, et cetera. And he references the events of Spider-Man three, meaning it picks up after that movie. Um, and generally he's just allowed to be kind of a calmer, more mellow, mild spider-man it seems as though he's been doing it for years he makes references to having back issues from years of swinging uh he is allowed to be kind of the wizened old spider-man we then see uh andrew garfield spider-man who has some distance between him and the time that gwen stacy died which was the big culminating event of amazing spider-man 2 there's a lot of space there uh there seems we're never given specific like it's been this many years since this thing happened but you can feel there's some space there because he references that after she died he went off and became vengeful yes and angry bitter. and bitter um and i think that's perfect i think it's it's a rare occasion when we get to see a character's story after it's been done yes when we get to revisit these characters from classic and iconic stories and you know comics and movies and things like that and it's the same character coming back to tell us what their life has been like or give us a glimpse into what their life has been like after the story. And it's a really interesting literary device used on a superhero movie. And it it it's emotional. It brings a lot of pathos into the story. It's perfect for uh, for Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And the three Spider-Men in themselves, the actors, have great chemistry and they mm -hmm. work together really well and they eat up the scenes. And it's honestly, it's paced very well, too. It's brought in kind of in a midpoint, closer to the end, but at sort of a midpoint, a lull point after a big climactic moment. Um, and it just it picks up the pace again. It doesn't feel like it's too forced or too 
heavy handed. It's it fits with the pacing of the movie. Pacing of the movie is generally fantastic. It's a long movie, but at no point does it lull or feel like it's stretched on. At no point do any of the twists and turns really feel sudden or forced or like there just to extend the violence or whatever it might be. Uh, and the Spider-Man coming into the story is a perfect kind of transitioning from one chapter to another. And it really like brings the climactic moment of the movie into like full full view and just drives the movie home to the end. One of the things that I thought was really nice about the introduction of the three Spider-Men is that it made it feel, it gave them the opportunity to differentiate the different variations of Peter in a way that mm -hmm. feels very comic book esque. Mm -hmm. um, in the comics, we've seen many iterations of Peter Parker and in the, in the movies, it kind of feels like they've always tried to reiterate a very similar formula for the types of Peters that they've presented to us. But now you see the differentiation in the three, very similar to differentiations we've seen in books. So you kind of have Toby, who's a little older. He's got his Mary Jane, and it he feels very akin to a Renew Your Vows type Peter. You have Andrew, who's a little more bitter, been through more drama, a little more alone, feels more like a more modern day post wealth, post being his own bodyguard, Peter in the in the current comic stream. And then you have Tom, who's very differentiated as his own Peter, different from the comics, kind of an amalgamation of different spider characters from the comics. And it helps really I it, isolate him as the quote-unquote MCU movie Peter. It helps give that that breadth of range to what Peter can be and how he can be depicted. And I mm. thought that was really, really cool because we didn't really have that separation before. We didn't really have that clarity of this is what Toby's Peter is and would become. This yeah. is what Andrew's Peter was, is and what he would become. And I think that's really yeah, cool. Everyone's talked about it. Like there's been endless discussions <laughs> online about like where do the different like you're a really good Spider-Man, but you're a bad Peter, and you're a really good Peter, but you're a bad Spider-Man, and Tom Holland is this <laughs> and Toby Maguire is this. But getting to put them all on screen at the same time was a great representation that all of these years of discussions and all these people, you know, preferring this Spider-Man versus this Spider-Man are really justified because they're all very different yeah. in their own way. Absolutely. And at no point did they bring them all in. Like, that was another worry of mine was that they would bring them all in and have them all, like, play like Tom Holland. Right. Like, they're all going to play Spider-Man, but they brought them all in. And they just played it the way they played it. Yeah. You know, Andrew Garfield was right back to Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Toby was right back to that kind of muted delivery that he does with his Peter. And it was it was it was cool too because when we find like the, the people who made this movie were very aware of how people view kind of the general consensus uh, that you can see online is that Andrew was a great Spider-Man, but not as good of a Peter, yep. not as comic accurate of a Peter. I think a lot of people consider. And Toby was a very comic accurate Peter, but his delivery in some of his lines in Spider-Man wasn't as strong as we would see later on with like, right. the quippiness and the cutesiness of Tom Holland. Um, and when we find these characters, we find Andrew in full Spider-Man and we find Toby in full Peter. And they even express, you know, 
Toby says, I I spend less time as the spider. I spend more time with MJ. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Andrew is almost exclusively spider. He doesn't even have civvy clothes on him. Mm -hmm. Like he only has the suit. He talks about how that's all he does. And so it's cool because it's like they broke off organically. Yeah. And that's happened throughout the Spider-Man <laughs> comics where he's chosen to focus more on one persona or the other. Yeah. And, you know, wrapping this all up, like my favorite thing about this, in addition to having these characters come in and be able to tell their stories after the fact, is letting them have a second chance with these villains and the general plan for these villains. Yes. At no point was it all... well. It flip-flopped, but the main thing instilled by Aunt May uh, into the plot was to help them. Yeah. So here we have, you know, Norman Osborn and Otto Octavius and uh, Max Dillon and uh, Flint Marco and Dr. Connors. Five individual humans, individual people that all did something that caused them to not be okay. Yep. You know, Connors and his formula turned him into a lizard, made him kind of crazy, kind of primal. Uh, Max fell into the tank of eels, got electric powers, craved power after that. Otto, the chip on his thing fried, and that made the arms kind of take over. You know, uh, Norman, the serum took over. Yep. And honestly... Flint Marco just wants to go back and see his daughter. You yeah. know, these are all people with trauma. And this movie views them as such. <laughs> and that's incredible. Yeah. Because that's a, a direction we need to take with a lot of people in our real world. Yeah. You know, where it's not, we don't just view them as villains. We don't just gun them down in the streets. We say, what can I do to help this? Yeah. It was the freaking defund the police of superhero movies. <laughs> It was finally stopping to take a minute to go, maybe we shouldn't have a fight. Maybe we should fix them. Yeah. Maybe and we should see what we can do to correct the issues that have happened. Exactly. Like I mentioned earlier, when you look at the previous movies and you look at a lot of superhero movies, these characters just die. They get swept under the rug and they're dead. Yeah. Because we don't know. It's, it's a production point because they don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. But, like, how do we deal with the continuing saga of this character? <laughs> but here we're given the chance to revive them and bring them back to their universe, healed, where they can give back to their universe. They can yeah. continue being characters in those universe. And while we won't necessarily get to see it, it's a completely different story arc from anything we've seen because it's not convenient to ongoing franchises. You know, it's... <laughs> the inconvenient choice to people building a big movie franchise is to keep these characters alive. Yep. And they did the inconvenient choice because they conveniently had a way to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. But these characters got actual help and yeah. redemption, you know, instead of being like Dr. Octopus is the one I love to bring up in this discussion because it's like, he literally just had a chip frying his mind. He was suffering from like a mechanically implanted schizophrenia. Yeah. And while he gets revived in the end, he ends up sinking into the Hudson River with a nuclear reactor because, hey, he's got to die. He did some bad things. Yeah. Time to die. And that was always like 
every super villain in every movie was like an execution order with the exception of like the Joker in the second Nolan movie. Yeah. Who got to live. Yeah. Um, unfortunately what happened to Heath Ledger, but you know, that character got to go on, got to move on. Uh, and then you have, like I said, we've never really seen superheroes go in with an idea of like, I'm going to help these people. It's always, I'm going to defeat. Yeah. I'm not going to kill them. They'll die some other way, but I'm not going to kill them. It's not my fault they're dead. I'm just going to defeat them. And with the exception of Wonder Woman 1984 and her view on uh, Cheetah. But that wasn't really handled well. Let's just say that movie wasn't handled well in general. Uh, And that wasn't really a big the running plot point. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? The literal running plot point of this was to try to fix some broken people. Treat them like humans. Yeah. And they did. And it was really cool. It was a really good narrative that we haven't really seen. No, we have not. Especially in the MCU. We just haven't seen it. And I I love that. I agree. I think this was an incredible movie because of that. There is one other appearance that we have not mentioned. uh, And that is that our man... Charlie Cox, Daredevil, is in the house. (laughs) It is true. Daredevil is now officially MCU canon. He's not just Matt Murdock. He does Daredevil things in this, just not as Daredevil. He's only there as Matt Murdock. But it's it's a good start. And maybe we'll get more of him going down the line, either in shows or in movies. I'm really hoping that Daredevil might play a big part in the next Spider-Man movie, with how this movie leaves Spider-Man, it would make a lot of sense because it looks like Spider-Man's going to be getting back to being more of a street-level hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would make sense to start bringing in those Netflix characters with this character. We'll see how it pans <laughs> out. Uh, but I I really like the introduction of uh, Charlie Cox's Daredevil into this. One final thing to mention is that for those of you that were hoping Tom Hardy would be Tom Holland's Venom, sorry. (laughs) Yes, gonna be a no. (laughs) If you listen to our episode about uh, Venom Let There Be Carnage, we mentioned that the end stinger to that has Venom coming into the mainstream MCU. This movie has an end stinger that takes him immediately out of it. But don't worry too much. Because there is a little bit of a surprise on that. I won't ruin everything. Two stingers in this movie. One in the mid-credits. One at the end. Stay for both of them. They're very, very good. Otherwise, five out of five. Go see this movie. It's one, it's of, the, one of the top, tippy-tippy-top MCU movies. It's very, very good. I am the type of person who lives for fan service. I am one of those fans that likes to be appealed to. But I also like quality movies. I like movies that are done well. And then the fan service makes sense. Rarely do those two things intersect. This movie, they did it right. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for seeing me as a fan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it for us. Uh, get out and see No Way Home. Thank you for listening. If you want more real extras that we've done in the past or our regular episodes or a plethora of other unique episodes that we've done, you can find all of them on our website at coverbpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media at Cover B Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We post on a regular basis. Yep. As always, again, thank you for listening. I have been Chris. This has been T. And you have been listening to, to Cover, Cover B. B. Bye, everybody. 